At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, and uh, tonight we've got a, a, a very special guest. Uh, we're going to talk about an awesome uh, project and television show that he's got going on, and uh, we'll get into some food sustainability, some wild food conversation, hunting, fishing, uh, you know, the whole shebang, what we'd like to talk about. But first up, uh, let me run through a bit of news myself, so... Uh, it's been a couple weeks since we recorded, uh, done a bit of elk scouting, uh, in the area. I'm headed up to actually this weekend, uh, with AJ who's coming up from Texas. So excited for that. We're going to do uh, a bit of, uh, elk archery. And then next weekend I'm headed down to Southeast Colorado to do a bit of antelope hunting, uh, to kick off rifle season. And then following that I'm up in Wyoming. So kind of a lot of travel coming up in the next three, four weeks, which I'm excited about because those that know me like know that I like to get out and get around. So very much like uh, Mario here too, likes to travel and do the hunting thing too. So it's good. But, um, well, let's see outside from that. So, um, we are working on the fall issue of the Harvesting Nature magazine, so that should be out here in October, uh, putting the finishing touches on that. Really excited. Uh, we've got some small game recipes. We've got some uh, antelope recipes, elk. We've got uh, an, an elk feature story, some other cool things going on, uh, how to butcher a whole goose, like tons and tons of cool things uh, happening as always in the magazine. So if you haven't already, go subscribe to our electronic magazine or there's still time to pick up our summer issue or spring issue in print on demand if you like um and then aside from that we're in the final stages production of our uh, small game blend for our spices and our waterfowl blend so both those should be coming out here in the next few months pretty excited about those is always a small batch tested uh we like to say uh chef-tested, hunter-approved uh, for our spice blends. So um, definitely uh, a fun fun testing phase on all various types of meat uh, with that. So look for those. And then um, also, too, we, we have a Facebook community page some of you may not know about. It's called uh, Eat More Wild Game. Uh, if you go there, that's our, our page. You can check us out and interact with the, the majority of our crew there. Uh, we're on there chatting, answering questions, asking questions, sharing cool things, but it's a, it's a more intimate way to hang out and chat. So, um, but aside from that, I think that's, that's all I got for updates for me. So I'll go ahead and introduce our guest. Our guest today is the owner and executive producer of Man Eats Wild television series airing on the Outdoor Channel, where season two just premiered. Congrats on that. He has owned global award-winning restaurants and has over 25 years of outdoor adventure experience. He's been all around the world harvesting food in the most extreme environments, uh, and I'm really excited to chat with him tonight. So please welcome Mario Calpo to the Wild Fishing Game Podcast. Welcome, Mario. Hey, Justin. How are you, mate? Good, man. It's good to have you on. It's a pleasure. I'm really excited. I've been excited to 
to get on this podcast all week, actually. So we're finally here. <laughs> That's good. Nice. It's a, uh, you know, is is a. Uh, as a chef as well, it's always good when you can find the intersection of hunting and cooking and just get to talk about both uh, with someone who's also equally passionate about it. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's that's our lives, right? Yep. So uh, if you could, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from and how you got into the outdoors? Sure, man. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 38. I feel like I'm about 58 because I, I'm always outside and my body's <laughs> hurting. But um, I'm 38 years old. I, I'm an ex-restaurateur. I say X because I uh, gave up the restaurant game probably about 10 years ago um, where, uh, you know, the outdoor lifestyle and wild game and TV um, series took over. But uh, I also used to be a professional hunting guide and had a lodge in New Zealand where I would take, um, you know, all sorts of people um, from around the world out on expeditions, hunting small game, large game, um, you know, waterfowl, everything really. And um, then after that, that's when the show sort of came about. But it's really uh, Man Eats Wild as, a sh- as my show is, is really a, a combination of all the unique skill sets that I've sort of um, amount, you know, got over the years through the restaurants and, and the guiding business. And it was just like a way of showing what I love doing to, to a lot of people. And, uh, yeah, I'm absolutely loving the journey. I now live in America. As you can hear, I, I've got an Australian accent. So I'm uh, originally from Australia. And uh, now I live in the States and I'm loving it. I love America and I, I love how passionate you guys are about the outdoors and your respect for, for uh, nature and co- conservation is second to none. So it was really an easy fit for me to uh, settle right in here. Nice. And so what was it uh what was it like growing up sort of hunting and and fishing in Australia? Yeah, it's a little bit different cuz you know, there's a lot of things that can kill you in Australia. <laughs> it's pretty like, <laughs> you know, even a little spider you got to worry about. So, uh, <laughs> I could say it's a little bit more relaxed here. Um at least you know here what's going to try to kill you. It's it's normally big and has big teeth. But um, the, mm-hmm. the, the things over there can be really tiny and uh, unassuming. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely different. Like we don't, you know, we have all sorts of crazy uh, things to hunt. We've actually got some really cool deer species, um, uh, quite a big variety of deer species, um, some tropical sort of uh, jungle deer. And then we've also got, you know, your typical high mountain sort of stuff. Um, and then, of course, you know, uh, we have all the crazy things like humongous sharks and crocodiles and things like that. But yeah, it's 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 great. I mean, I'm lucky because I get to travel the whole world, so I, I really do get yeah. to, to try uh, everything as far as food and harvesting. That's awesome. So I saw too uh, on on the preview of your show that you do a bit of spear fishing. Uh, did you do that growing up, or something you got into later? Uh, I'm not going to say I'm the best spear fisherman, <laughs> but I definitely love it. <laughs> so if that counts for anything, I'm really good. But um, I'm I I've I've done a bit. Like I've I've shot some pretty decent sized pelagic uh, species, and uh, you know I've had a few close calls with sharks and stuff like that. So I'm not a hundred percent comfortable in the water, but I just do it. I, it's one of those, I feel things, you. you know what I mean? Like you just go yeah, yeah. stop being a little wuss and get in that water. But then, you know, sometimes it's, uh, you kind of feel like you're out of your depth. Excuse the pun. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a mental game. You know, I've done it a bit too, uh, in my life and it's like, jumping in the water you're in a whole new environment like you're not the apex predator anymore you're kind of like you know you're still top of the food chain but not the top top <laughs> that's yeah for sure. you definitely go down a few levels <laughs> like yeah i mean yeah we're just not humans are so uncoordinated in water we're not meant to be oh, in yeah. there you know what i mean we're not mm-hmm. built for that um like putting a fish on land basically it's just useless yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh so um, so you talked about restaurants. What, what kind of restaurants have you had throughout your, uh, your time? Yeah, I ran quite a few restaurants as a, as a young, uh, man in my early twenties and opened a few up as well. My, probably my, uh, most, uh, 
famous one was called the Old Library. Had a, a really famous chef, um, Italian celebrity chef there named Danny Russo. Big shout out to Danny. Um, and you know, we we had a very good uh, you know eight year run at that restaurant, and it was extremely busy. And we were lucky enough to to uh, really create some magic as far as food was concerned, and won a whole bunch of awards. Uh, so yeah, I don't know if anyone's been in the restaurant game. It's not easy, man. It takes uh, it takes mm-hmm. a few years off your life because it's uh, it's very stressful and uh, a lot of hard work. But if you're uh, passionate about food, I mean, it's the ultimate place to experiment and and you know play with uh, different ingredients. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and sort of being uh, owner operator and having a good chef, you get a good variety of. Uh, ingredients and experiences to go into the food as well and that's always awesome when you create something really great for sure i mean you know what i do love uh, now though that, that we that i've never really been able to do in australia anyway and i'm pretty sure the u.s is the same but i can now play around with wild game or i have been for a long mm-hmm. time but now you know on tv i can create recipes you can't do that in australia you can't put wild food in a restaurant it's got to be certified and um, butchered and put through an abattoir through a series of you know strict uh, yep. um, protocols. So um, I guess that was always something that was really frustrating for me. Um, but now you know I can do I can cook whatever I want from the wild on TV. So that's 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 really been a great change of pace. No, that's awesome, and that's yeah, you're you're spot on with that. Same way here in the states, like everything's got to go through the either the like state inspectors or the U.S. Department of Agriculture uh, before you can get it out to the restaurants. And um, it's a uh, it, it's cool because too, like I always find it that to be the ultimate connection. You know, I grew up hunting and then got into the kitchen in, in college age, but it's still like going back to my roots and kind of being like, this is the origin of this food. This is where it came from. Like mm. I think as a chef, it's always something I really, really appreciated uh, as I moved more into the wild food realm and left the restaurant world. And just like, you know, I'm like you, I'm not, I'm not on TV, but I, you know, get to cook and travel and do all the cool stuff too. Uh, awesome. And I love, I love pulling it all together and then pulling the, the ingredients and the, from uh, local spots, and it's just it's so much fun to have that creativity, yeah, uh, really from your own hands, for sure. And it's so much more satisfying. Like anyone can go into a supermarket and pick some ingredients. Like that's you know, I'm not I'm not talking down onto that because I, sometimes I have to do that. But you know, there is something really special about going out with nothing and coming back with yeah. a complete grocery list of you know, things that you then cook and share with people that you love. And then, you know, a, a bonus is when you nail it and it's really delicious. It's like the ultimate um, way to share your hard effort. I think it's, uh, you, you mentioned going out kind of in the wild with nothing and coming back and immediately like what popped in my head is like, you think about historic hunters going out with like nothing and being like, oh, I'm going to live off the land while I'm out here hunting, or I'm just going to go out and catch some fish or, you know, forage. And I'm just like, Holy smokes. Uh, you know, now we go out with our freeze dried meals and <laughs> our, uh, canned tuna or whatever. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely been an evolution in the hunting world as well. Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, I've always wondered, like, I, I can't say I've ever done this. I can honestly say that i have never done this actually but i would love to actually test myself like that one day and go okay here's the deal you're going to go out only with your bow your knife and your essential survival stuff and see how long you can go for with with just being able to you know harvest like i really would love to just even if it's for like three weeks or something and just go out with nothing and see if you know like i'm sure you said three weeks i was like maybe like four days (laughs) 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 i think like a month or something but yeah (laughs) it'd be a pretty cool experience hey maybe we we could make a show like that (laughs) there you go yeah uh it'd be like some of those survival shows but like for real and we'd be hunting i don't think any of them have a hunting aspect of it as much no those guys go out naked with like nothing and then they they come back with about 50 pounds lighter and you know, <laughs> looking homeless. 
<laughs> I draw the line there. I'm taking my clothes, Mario. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm with you, man. I think it'd be, I wouldn't be very good for TV. <laughs> People be like, I'm just going to turn this off. <laughs> yeah. Get the kids inside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, oh, that's awesome. So, one question that I do, I do like to ask, and I ask this on behalf of Corey, our uh, podcast producer, because it's like one of his favorite questions to ask is. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's, what's something like really cool, really special that you have in your freezer right now that, that you're looking forward to, to cooking up soon? Man, you've asked the, you know, I, I think I told you earlier, I'm moving. Yeah. <laughs> so yep. I have nothing in my freezer right this second, but I'm hoping that in a few days from now, cause I'm actually about to leave on an elk hunt tomorrow that I'm going to have a whole uh, elk in my fr- in my fridge so Ooh. that could be uh, that could be I mean there's nothing better than venison that's pretty much a staple diet of all hunters I'm actually a huge fan of cooking seafood though and I will answer yeah. your question because I just moved from New Zealand so I'm going to I'm going to take a little snapshot of what was in that freezer and, and I'll okay. uh, you know so um, I, I I used to love um, one of my favorite things to do is catching rock lobsters um, just because it's so much fun and, you know, I love the fact that you can catch something from the wild that in a restaurant that I sometimes go into with my friends is like $200 for a serving. And I've got like 15 of them in my freezer ready to go. So Ooh, yes, I love that. That's that to me is like seeing the price tag on something that is available to anyone that's got the skill set or you know, loves doing it is, yeah, I think that's special, man. So moving, moving down, you're, you're moving down South down to, to, is it okay if I say where, cause you I'm going to give you some, go for okay. it, man. Yeah. Just don't give so my exact address away. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so moving down to Florida and I told you earlier, like I used to live in the Florida Keys and, uh, you'll appreciate it. So Florida Keys, if you don't know, has a big lobster season. I've been right? there. I've harvested lobster. Yeah. There. Oh man, they're so good. I uh I I do I do like the cold water like Maine lobsters better, but I'm of the exact same mindset as you is like when I can go across the street, jump in the water, dive, get a fresh lobster out, like that's basically, you know, what's it cost for a tag? Like twenty bucks maybe, and you can take six per day, you know, versus going to a restaurant and paying like upwards of a hundred dollars or more for a lobster, like what that that's just awesome. That's awesome. Absolutely. Uh, you. I just want to ask you something. Like, so I went. Uh, this is really interesting for me, anyway. Um, so you, you said you prefer the main lobsters over the your those because what are those? I, I went on a fishing trip down there, and I had this really cool guy uh, became friends with named Dan, and he took me um, spear fishing, and, and I found lobsters under the rocks, and they were like this bluey green kind of rock lobsters looking things like mm-hmm. I, I don't know what the species are called um but they're very so there's florida spiny lobsters or caribbean spiny lobsters is what they are right they're kind of green right or bluey uh they're they have uh kind of a reddish purple bluish hue purple. to them yeah yeah that's the ones yeah i i reckon they're more taste I, I found them delicious man like uh i i was really impressed by the flavors of really sweet beautiful mm-hmm. flesh not very big though i mean the ones i got were like half a pound or something i don't know a pound maybe yeah yeah, uh, a pound maybe i don't know but um you know they're kind of like 12 10 uh, 12 14 inches long and um that was so tasty oh my god we ate like i had like four of them i was like man these are great so i i do like them um i and i love the flavor i do think that they're like chewier yeah. Than the uh, like the cold water lobsters uh, up in sure. like Maine. I think they're more like I guess you wouldn't say like supple, but you bite into them and they just kind of give, and they're like really like a tender steak. Whereas uh, spiny lobsters are a little more more chewy, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've only had the um, the Maine lobsters uh, a couple of times. Uh, they've got they're a different thing altogether, right? They've got actually. Um, Claws, right? They're, they're, yep, uh, yep. Yeah. Very yeah, and cool. that's. A, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think to dive for 
Maine lobsters. <laughs> First <laughs> off, the water is pretty cold, and second, I don't know, they'd probably pinch my finger off if that's possible. <laughs> yeah, we'd freeze our asses off. In, uh, <laughs> you, you wouldn't get many out, man. You'd probably get one out. And go, All right, I'm done, guys. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I need a heater. But um, <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about your uh, about your show. Um, sure. So. For those that may have never seen it, kind of what's the what's the concept of the the show? Like start from from the beginning, I guess. Yeah, well, my show is all about harvesting food from the wild and reconnecting people to where their food comes from. Because I strongly believe, Justin, that as a society, we have become completely disconnected from our food. People have no idea what they're eating, nor do they know where it comes from. And I really had this strong urge, especially after being a restaurateur and especially after being a guide, to to reestablishing that connection and and you know reconnecting people to where their food comes from. So essentially, what I do is I go and travel all around the world, and um, I harvest food from the wild and cook amazing. Well, at least I think they're amazing cooking um, segments. <laughs> So I, uh, you know, and I, I also in the process, um, you know, showcase different cultures and different cuisines all around the world. And a lot of the time it's new to me. Like it's, uh, you know, um, you know, for example, like I was just in Africa and um, I went there and learned a whole bunch of new recipes and different ingredients that obviously you can't get in America. And uh, so, you know, a lot of the time it's actually a learning um a learning sort of experience for me as well. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And I'm looking here, uh, on, on the man eats wilds main page on outdoor channel and you got you sitting atop. So is that an alligator or a crocodile? Uh, am I see? Uh, yeah, I think if it's you're like shot, holding its I'm mouth. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh, a really big crocodile. Um, that was a really cool episode. I got a phone call from a friend of mine uh, who lived in Zimbabwe and they had a lot of people being taken by these animals and a lot of people dying. Like it was really sad. Young kids just going to basically like um, get their drinking water for the day and, uh, you know, cattle and stuff like that. And he sort of said, and said, listen, man, I know you got your show, but I really want to show how bad these things are, like how much of a problem they are in these areas. Um, so we came up with this idea to, to go and, and get rid of this really, uh, these couple of problematic crocodiles, but also teach the locals how to, how to cook them. And, and, you know, oh, nice. so we're kind of, it, to me, it's like a, it's a, you know, it's a win-win. You, you, you're reducing yeah. the numbers of something that's out of control now and, and problematic. And also we're teaching these people that, Hey, this is actually a valuable, uh, source of protein because, no, no one wants to kill something for no reason. So, um, you know, I'm not into that at all. So, I th- you know, I kind of thought it could be a cool episode, and it really was. So that that crocodile was one of those big, big badass problematic ones that uh, that we got rid of. So how did how did you guys teach them to cook it? Or has this episode aired yet? I'm not giving away a spoiler, am I? No, it aired yesterday, which was the first time. Oh, perfect. And yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's airing all week. We have multiple. Uh, the, the show plays, I think, uh, quite a few times in a week. But um, if, uh, I mean, I'm sure I can give it away. I don't know when this podcast comes out, but I'll tell you anyway. Probably won't be till next week or the following, so. Okay, well, then we, we're good. <laughs> but, um. <laughs> Yeah, so so basically harvested a huge croc. It was like thirteen foot or something like that. And um, I uh, the tail to me is is probably the best um, part of the animal. Um, and we, I did a uh, Southeast Asian inspired uh, wok stir fry out of it. Um, you know, used some beautiful um, Asian sort of sauces and marinades had chili in there and cumin and, um, you know, rice wine, vinegar, soya sauce, um, seasoned the hell out of it and, um, and, and gave it a, 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 a stir fry sort of flavor with sesame oil and a really hot wok and, um, just cooked it over flame. It was really tasty. It was pretty spicy, but, um, <laughs> the Africans were like, whoa, 
Well, we'd have never really, you know, I know I thought like African food was, you know, spicy. But yeah, spicy. Right? I guess it depends on where you're at. Yeah, yeah. Well, in Zimbabwe, it's not because I almost like <laughs> their, their mouths almost like hit the top of their heads, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's awesome. I uh, I went out, what was it, two two years ago, 2020, I drew alligator tags down in Florida and went out and had a pretty rough week and ended up coming up without any alligator. And then one of my good buddies, uh, Adam Steele, who's, he helps out with some of our butchering camps and stuff like that. But he, uh, he runs like a processing place, uh, just north of Orlando and he had some alligator meat and basically gave me like a sympathy package of alligator meat <laughs> and I brought it back and and cooked it up and you know, I don't know the difference the nuanced differences between crocodile and alligator but uh I made a, a pretty delicious like paella with it nice. uh which came out really well and I took uh some Key West pink shrimp and uh tried to go as as Florida as I could just yeah. like using all that hub of ingredients uh but man, it, it's such a good meat, and I think uh, you know, I think it's something people will get a little intimidated by, and I, yeah. I don't think that they should. No, not at all. It's delicious, man. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. It's a very. I mean, people eat chicken all the time, right? And like, it's mm-hmm. no stronger, in my opinion. And I, I hate to be the cliche guy comparing to chicken, but you know, it's something <laughs> that people know. So it's kind yeah. of like you kind of get caught in that. But it, it really is not – it's not gamey. Um, I think texturally, it's – you know, if you cook it right, it's, it's – it's, you know, it's reasonably tender. It's not, it's not super tough. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot you can do with it. I, I, I totally uh, – I mean, the southern, southern states, they love it down there, right? Yep. Yeah, it's a big thing. Like, I, you know, I went to college in Louisiana and it, you know, alligator, Friday alligator tails like everywhere. But even once you start to sort of like scope beyond that, like even, you know, it's like, uh, like chicken, it's got dark meat, it's got light meat. And like, even the dark meat's good. You know, you have to use it a little, prepare it a little different, just like you would anything else. But yeah, man, it's a, it's a fun food for sure. Oh, for sure, man. I mean, I I love it. I I, I do. I did learn something that was very interesting. I want to tell everyone, um, not just in case <laughs> they have any ideas, but a crocodile's liver, if if consumed, can be deadly. And yeah, and if you dry it out and eat it, it's extremely deadly. Like I'm talking, really? yeah, man. I'm talking like a pinch of salt. That would kill ten men. It's that strong. What? Yeah, because when we were there, um, the, the I had like I killed this big crocodile, and this guy came out of nowhere, like this this like ranger or something, and he's like, he's like, um, we like we we obviously had permits and we went through the whole you know it was all legal, but this guy came out and he's like, you have to. I'm the officer of this area. We heard you, you know, trying to hunt crocodile. And um, we were forced to disregard the liver because locals that had, like, issues with each other were known to, mm-hmm. like, poison each other and, and, and it was a thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they, they were really strict about it. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Are you reading on it now? Yeah, I was just yeah. – I'm like yeah. – I'm, I'm – Huh. I don't want to give anyone any ideas <laughs> out there. Yeah, but, no. But yeah, just from a safety perspective, I mean, like a lot of people like liver. You know, like it's a, it's a, it's an awful. It's an internal part that people like to eat. So, just uh, I, and I think it's got something to do with the amount of like stuff they eat. Um, it, it, there's like some kind of a, uh, I don't know exactly, so I don't want to be quoted on it. But there's a chemical that builds up over time. And become so potent in specifically, you know, crocodiles that it, it, it's yeah highly toxic and deadly. Huh? Yeah, I was looking at some crocodile bile. I don't know. Well, I'm gonna have to dig into this more. I'm curious now. Yeah, I mean that's that's what I was told by the locals. So unless they were making a big joke about it, and and I was the fool, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure <laughs> that they were legit. No, I'm curious now. That's, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Either way, like 
either way, if it's if it's not and people fully believe it or you know whatever, either way, it's like wow, that's 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 a pretty cool piece of culture. Yeah. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish; it's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. So what are some other uh, some other places that you visited that you really enjoyed? Um, on that trip, I um, I was luckily I was lucky enough I should say to go to Namibia and uh, I hunted in like this the Namibian desert which was really cool and which we uh, I had really hard access so I actually got a hot air balloon and got dropped off in the middle of um, of the Namib desert to hunt oryx that was seriously cool um, you know did did some stuff in the Seychelles which was amazing Anyone out there that loves fly fishing or saltwater fly fishing, uh, I can highly recommend the Seychelles, particularly a place called Alphonse Island. Um, that was where's, just, where's that at? It's in the Seychelles, so it's about it's uh, as far as it's off the coast of South Africa. Um, okay, about got it. Three, yeah, three hour flight off the coast of South Africa, um, in the middle of the Indian Ocean. It's a tiny little dot. It's, you know, it's really seriously small, um, but it has, like, you could be the worst fisherman on the planet. In fact, you could even not even fish before, and you're going to catch, like, crazy fish. Like, it's that, uh, I mean, the, the ecosystem is just thriving there, man. It's it's really untouched. Um, so, yeah, I was lucky enough to, to catch sailfish on a fly rod. I call it, like, a four-foot um, giant trevally permit, milkfish, bonefish. Um, I caught this humongous um, ruby snapper, which probably was, I'm actually going to say it was the best eating fish I've ever had in my life. Ooh. Yeah. At- Atlas fish, they call them. But the, I think the technical name is ruby snapper. You're looking it up. I'm super curious. Sorry, I like Google everything <laughs> as we're talking about it. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, it looks like a, a gigantic. Um, see if I've got a photo I can show you here. It looks like a gigantic um, goldfish. Like you know those goldfish that you have in the. Thing? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you see it. <clears throat> I see. Oh, those are cool. Really good. I eating. like all the. I like all the different snapper varieties. Like they generally like. That meat quality of fish is just phenomenal. Yeah, you see that? Oh yeah, well, that's a nice size one too. Yeah, it was probably about forty-five pounds, fifty pounds. That's good. That's a good bit of meat. Yeah. Oh man, it was delicious. Like it was beautiful, flaky, soft flesh, and it absorbed every bit of flavor that I put on it. Man, it was just like and and succulent like just juicy you know not too mm-hmm. oily um skin crisped up really nicely just yeah it was it was gold oh that's awesome so on on the show too i'm gonna bring us bring us back around because i want to hit on like your your four four sort of tenants here yeah. i guess uh so in those, you know, through our conversation, I've learned resonate pretty, pretty personally with you is kind of like a good personal motivator for, for why you're, you're a hunter and angler, uh, is, is obviously the food, food side of it, the sustainability. So 
sustainability, learning different cultures, cuisines, understanding where your food comes from and sort of the health benefits. Um, was that sort of a natural thing for you to shape it that way? Or, or is it something that you're like, ah, let's, let's lean a little bit into it. Uh, I want to combine several passions or. Yeah, it was kind of like, it's just the truth, you know, like it's, that's yeah. all it is really. And that's all I want to, I want to tell people, like, I'm not, it's not my, it's, this is not my perception or, you know, yeah. I'm not beating a drum. that's like, Hey, this is what I think. This is like factual stuff, right? Yeah. We're, like we're not, you know, and I feel like as consumers of food, people have been misled like badly, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like pharmaceutical companies. It's the same crap. Like, you know, they give you this drug, then you get another symptom from it. Then you've got to take another drug. And really you could like in most cases actually not even get the illness if you ate right to start with or looked after yourself. So this is really me just trying to say, hey, guys, you know, if you just think about what you're putting in your body um, and you look into this a little bit, you'll actually find out that organic and and wild, which is probably the, the, the best, but, you know, natural food in general is going to make you live longer. You are going to feel better. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not, uh, yeah, so that was that was something that, I learned from a combination of obviously harvesting food myself, but also the restaurants and, um, and just the world in general. Like you look at, man, I've got to say like America was a big shock to me when I first got here, you know, 40% of Americans are obese, you know, and, and, and yep. 40 million people have diabetes. That's not from, that's not a genetic thing. This is directly related to the food we're eating. So, I mean, it doesn't matter how you look at it. We never used to eat that way. We used to eat no. naturally. We were hunting gatherers, right? And I'm not like, you know, paying out on people, but it's just like the fact. So I think if we can spread a message of, um, you know, helping people choose the right food, inspiring people to get out there every once in a while and harvest your own food and get outside, I think it's a great message, man. I think it's really positive. No, I agree with you, and it, I, I appreciate the the authenticity that you bring to it as well. As like, hey, this this is me. This is what I do. Um, but also, like, I agree with you one hundred percent. And I think that's so that's been a big mission for us from the beginning. Is like that that education and inspiration piece. Like, let's teach people how to to take something they get from the wild and turn it into food, so that they create a passion for it, and then in in turn, you know hunting and fishing and foraging and the other outdoor activities, like those are active things. Like those are things our body is designed to do is to go out there and acquire things. And so in, when you're doing that, you're like, Oh, well I want to be a better hunter. I need, maybe I need to go a little further into the woods. Maybe Hmm. I need to hike up that mountain. Maybe I need to go find that remote stream and harvest the fish. Like, you know, I, I think that's the, I agree with you. That's the positivity in it is like, it's twofold people eat good food and people do good things with their bodies yeah Uh, yeah. that's it man that's that's you can't put it any simpler or direct like that's exactly uh what we are meant to be doing as a as as humans yeah i like it i like it yeah and Um, you know what the other thing i'll say as well is People don't think, oh, well, like, I can't go to the supermarket. Like, I can't go out hunting every day to get food. But what they don't actually, like, what's really, uh, like, one thing I find, I, well, I just feel like, you know, saying to people, hey, man, you don't get it. Like, one elk, one deer is so much food. Like, you you, yeah. you couldn't eat that by yourself in six months. Like, it takes months to eat a, a whole beast. You know what I mean? Like, so, you know, you don't even have to, like, let's just say you shop one or two pigs, a deer, and went fishing, you know, half a dozen times, like, you know, relatively decent-sized fish, that would be enough food probably to feed you for, like, six months, maybe more. You know what I mean? So, and and then, you know, say you had a veggie patch at home or you found a good organic, you know, farmer's market in your house, that's it. You're good to go. And, like, that would be enough with you supplement with supermarket food as well a little bit because I know you know it's a little it's hard to be out there all the time but that that would severely increase 
um, your health and, 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 you know, make you live a, a much cleaner lifestyle. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. And I think, I think back in, geez, what was it? 2011. I did like, I did a little bit of a cost analysis on like the hunting versus buying food. And this has been a very like controversial article for us, like over the past decade, which is fine, but I, I like the conversation that it drives mm. and there's some, there's some questionable analytics on my part, but, uh, <laughs> you know, cause obviously if you're going to get into hunting, you have to spend, you know, you have to spend a good amount yeah, right, yeah. to get into it. So if you take that factor out and you look at like, you know, pound for pound, like the cost of a tag versus the cost of buying meat in the store, like, it even outweighs it. So like from an economic standpoint, like it, there's benefits to it as well. Um, but no, I, I agree with you. And I think too, you know, I, I mention it frequently here. First off, like one, eat what makes you happy. Hopefully that's wild game and <laughs> wild food, but two, like it's okay to supplement, you know, wild food with, with domestic or homegrown or whatever. But it's like, know the try to know the farmer know the source like learn more about your local food system versus just like buying buying mass produced food which is is not great I, I totally agree with you Justin I had this theory well it's not a theory but it's it's pretty much factual like if we all ate within 100 miles of our house we would we would abolish a lot of world problems a lot um, yeah. you know we would really make a huge dent in the uh, carbon footprint of uh, transportation of food. And, um, you know, like, it's crazy. Like, when I realized, I li when I lived in New Zealand, this is when I really realized that a friend of mine um, was a fishmonger, right? And he had commercial fishing boats. And, um, you know, we used to wonder why we could never find the fish that he was catching in the, in the shops. I'm like... What, what do you mean? Well, why can't we buy yellowtail, kingfish, right? You guys call amberjack. Which, like, there's heaps of them, and you know they're abundance. And he's like, "Oh no, they all go. They all get shipped to China." And I'm like, "What do you mean?" And he's like, "Yeah, well, and so do all our lobsters and our crayfish and our abalone yeah. and our." And and that's like, I find that a not that I have anything. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm not having a go at China specifically. It happens all over the world. But this is just an example. And, you know, what I was, uh, you know, gobsmacked by this is that we're literally raping the earth in one area, like huge fishery. You know, uh, there's 2 billion people in China and a tiny little country like New Zealand, and it's just getting smashed and long liners and all this other stuff. And all this stuff's going across the other side of the world. So, you know, I, I mean, how long can we sustain that for as a planet? You've got 7 billion people. Like, you know, it's not a factory that just keeps pumping out products. This is Mother Nature, man. So eventually yeah. it's going to get to a point where, you know, it's, it's, I think it's already getting to that point. So that's another really valuable message to get across to people is, you know, um, we should be trying to look at locally sourcing all our food and, and especially organic matter. And I think, too, looking at it from a seasonal standpoint as well, and I think that plays into that 100-mile radius, too, is, like, you can't grow everything all year, right? So sometimes it's like, all right, well, you know, maybe I'll do without apples because my apples aren't fresh. Maybe I'll do without tomatoes because tomatoes aren't fresh. Or maybe I'll eat canned tomatoes that, you know, I made in the summer. Like, there's definitely, uh, you know, I, I give a lot of respect to um, folks that lived before we had, like, a mass food system because you had mm. to have a little bit of forethought right you had to think about it like all right we're gonna harvest our garden this month and everything that we don't eat in the next week's got to get canned and that's gonna take <laughs> us another two weeks like yeah you're right totally <laughs> yeah I, I used to um it's funny like you make a really valid point man and i'm glad you actually said that because it's true uh you know i'm always wary of seeing like summer fruits in december i'm like why is there figs and like nectarines and peaches like in the supermarket right now when it's like the dead of winter and these things shouldn't be growing right now and it's like they're all gas frozen and snap frozen and whatever else and mm -hmm. you know they're, they're actually pumped full of chemicals man that's what they're that's what keeps them fresh to get from one side of the world to the other um but with our restaurants i said we said it from day one 
and we, we, we lived by the sword, man. We said all our menu is seasonal, all our menu is local, right? And, yeah. you know, with the exception of maybe one or two specials, but for the most part, we really did live by it. And, um, and, and like you said, it's like fresh because, you know, it's like this is what is meant to be happening right now. Yeah, and I, I think I give a testament. So uh, if you're ever down in Austin or maybe you've been down there, Jesse Griffiths has a, a restaurant down there, Dadu A Supper Club, and he does every ingredient in his restaurant is from Texas, which is awesome. Yeah, it's super cool, super. And I, I love that model. Um, you know, one day if I grow up and find my calling again to go back in the restaurants, I think that's probably a model I would follow is like, all right, we're going to do everything from, you know, Colorado or Florida or we're like what there's there's so much opportunity, but it forces you to cook to cook to your your locale, which I think is great. And uh That's a really that's cool. I, I like that as a concept for a restaurant. Maybe I shouldn't say that. But that's that could be a really cool you know, maybe call a restaurant locally grown, and then and it's and yeah. that restaurant is just no matter where you see that restaurant, you know the menu is from the local state. Yeah, yeah, I think you get a I think you get a good following of folks. A lot of people respect that for sure. But um, let's let's circle back around to uh, so as you're out traveling and hunting and you're you're interacting with other cultures, what um. What are some cool culinary or food techniques or traditions that you've picked up along the way? That you- well, it's it's you know it's all it's it's sometimes not actually the the, the food uh, even just small things like the way they butcher or carry an animal out or you know things like that like you know um, I learned from the Maoris. Do you know what the Ma- do you know the Maoris mm-hmm. the the yeah, New Zealand uh, natives. I do. I've got some some really good friends that are Maoris that I, I uh, played rugby with. Um, oh, so, oh, really? Yeah. You played rugby? Yeah, yeah. Yep, yeah. Oh. I've been going strong for, geez, since 13 years now. Wow, man. You must be a strong man. Because I, I, it, <laughs> rugby, buddy, it makes you tough. You don't have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. You're either tough or broken. Yeah, exactly. Or both. <laughs> or I think that's me. <laughs> um, yes, and they're big guys, man. It's just yeah, yeah. They, those boys are some of the biggest human beings I've you know. I mean, all South Pacific Islands are normally they're not exactly small people, but um, they they I went hunting a lot of hunting with Maori boys in New Zealand when I lived over there, and. Um, they taught me, you know, methods of, um, it's just not really cooking, but it's more just, you know, the, the whole cultural thing and how different people around the world do things differently. And, and that's really how I learn a lot of what I know is that I pick up all these great little things that I see and, you know, I can either dismiss them or, or use them. And uh, you know, sometimes I feel like they're things that I'm like, why would you do it that way? But um, a, a lot of other times it's like, wow, that was really cool. So yeah, they, they they so what they do is they 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 I don't know if you know this, but they they'll cut the 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 joint at the forequarter, so where the where the um, shank meets the 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 hinge, right? Mm-hmm. And then they'll do that on both sides, and they'll leave the ligament dangling, right? So so it's just sort of dangling. Then they'll cut another hole in the Achilles part of the back legs, the bit that that where the hoof joins the leg. There's like a little gap in the middle, and and they sure. thread they thread this into the back leg, so it makes a backpack out of the animal, and you uh, literally yeah. you can literally slide it on your back like an actual backpack. It's so comfortable. I could carry out. I've carried out like animals almost the size of a bull elk out like that. But if you if you can do it properly, like. I mean, maybe not that big, but not far off it, man. Like it's it's pretty sure. handy, you know. And um, and the and the reason why they do it is because sometimes, you know, in New Zealand, it's such high altitude and it's really steep, um, sort of settings. It's it's hard to to butcher up sometimes because you know there's you know steep sort of surfaces. So yeah, I just thought that was amazing. Um, and you know, in Africa, like. Um, the way they, you know, I learned how to do an underground food oven under the ground. And I mean, it's not exactly the most efficient way to, to cook something. It takes a long time, but Hey, if you want to, if you want to do a roast 
and you don't have an oven, well, there you go. There's there's a way of doing dig it. A you hole. know, like yeah, dig a hole, put some, get some rocks that uh, cover the ground in rocks, make a huge fire on it, and um, and cover it up with some leafage, and and you know that you've got an oven, like essentially, um, you know, uh, not as powerful, but it, after three four hours, you get the job done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny. I was just talking about this last episode. Uh, I think we were talking about roasting whole animals in pits, and I was like, I've always wanted to do it, but I've never found anybody who would let me dig a hole in their yard and start a fire <laughs> in it. <laughs> so I want to keep working on it. I'll get it one yeah, day. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe in the wild somewhere, but just don't start a fire in the national park. <laughs> no, 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 no. Especially this time of year. Jeez, it's so dry. Yeah. Totally. But, um, yeah, so there's some, a lot of interesting things around the world, I suppose. It's, it's uh, always always fascinating to me. Yeah. No, it's good. I, I think it's awesome you're getting you're getting to travel and experience those things like that and, and that you're willing to share those experiences. I think it's good. Uh, you know, there's definitely a lot of folks, me included, who can't always travel around, and it, it's cool to highlight those and uh, – you know, share those experiences, um, also too. And I, I appreciate it too, that you approach it from the culinary standpoint, um, of like, Hey, we're going to go and instead of just hunting or fishing or doing whatever, which some folks do, you know, whatever, do their thing. But like, you're really like, Hey, let's do the food part too. Like, let's, let's stick to that tradition, which I think that's, that's more valuable to me in my opinion. Absolutely, man. And you, you can do both. Like, that's the thing. Like, the, you know, like, I know like, trophy hunting, for example, is, you know, in, in the mainstream is really looked down on or, you know, they don't get it. And it's it kind of has had a, a rough, a rough, uh, you know, in the media, it's, it's been pretty hardcore. But, you know, I, and people say to me sometimes, like, because obviously I, I am all about harvesting food it's food is why i do what i do right mm -hmm. but occasionally or not like sometimes if i shoot a, a really impressive animal for example and I'll, i will take the head with me and i'll mount it right or i'll keep the yeah. rug and people are like well, why do you do that like why why do you do that if you if you're just uh you know doing it about for food and i'm like why wouldn't i do that like it, it, the other option is leaving it in the ground to rot away and be completely wasted yeah. or I take it and I have a memory for the rest of my life and I've utilized that animal for food like we would if we went and bought cow beef in the butcher, right? So it's just a memory. Like it's just a way of capturing a moment and, and remembering, you know, how that particular harvest went down. So I, I, I still think you can go out and have fun harvesting and, and doing your thing and utilize uh, the animal that you've taken, um, a hundred percent for, for food. No, I, I'm with you on that. And like, I'm totally, I, I think I sort of, I'm 100% okay with the way you do it. I mean, it's the same way with me. Like if you look behind me, look, yeah, there's, I saw the there's my, there's my <laughs> antelope. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I definitely do that, but it's too, it's like the value is the food. Like I wanted to do both. I'd never shot an antelope buck before but i also love antelope meat like that's one of my favorite meats so yeah. of course that guy is gonna you know he's gonna get eaten but it's also too it's like i'm super proud of that and it lets me show my kids and my family and like hey check out this and like let me tell you about how antelope is and you know it's it's a conversation point and an education point is too but i think the reverse side of it is is just you know people talk about hunting for horns or all that like I, I just where does it go? I think where does the meat go? What's the purpose? But um, I don't want to dive too far down that rabbit that hole. hole. But <laughs> yeah, 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 it's a big one, um, man. <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, I, I and I live, I you know, I'm like you. I live in the world of food, so that's where I, that's where I want to be, and that's my choice. Uh, so I think I'll go there. But yeah. so as we kind of wind down uh, a little bit on time, I did want to. Uh, if you want to give any highlights from season two, uh, you know, any, any previews without giving away too, too much. I know we talked about your, your first episode that aired. Um, but there's any, some, there's some good ones there, man. Yeah. I, I honestly, they are all really good. I'm not, I'm not just saying that because it's my show. This, this particular season, 
uh, I found myself to be really lucky in the fact that amazing things happened to me while I was out in the wilderness. Uh, I, I lived with the, uh, the Bushmen people in the Kalahari Desert and I was able to harvest food for the whole village and lived um, closely with them. That was really special. Uh, whitewater rafted down some crocodile-infested waters to get to this uh, this crocodile hunt. That was really intense. Um, you know, did the balloon in the middle, got an air balloon in the middle of the uh, Namibian desert and harvested an oryx. I was the first guy in this particular area to shoot a Cape Buffalo with my bow. No one had ever shot one in this area. Um, oh, wow. Which, yeah, so I didn't know that until after. The guy's like, uh, just by the way, you're the first person to ever do this here. I was like, oh, right. If you had told me that, I probably wouldn't have tried it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was – I mean, there was some great adventures. I also was lucky enough to take some really cool people out. Um, Chuck Liddell, UFC champion, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he, he came out on an adventure uh, with me. We, sh- we, had, we filmed an episode with him. Um, Frank Stallone, Sylvester Stallone's brother and actor, big actor himself. I did a turkey hunt with him in Kansas. That was cool. And then, of course, um, I did a really cool axis deer harvest with Shane Dorian, who's a, uh, a big wave surfer. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's huge, man. Like, the guy's crazy. Surf 60 foot waves and jaws. And his best friends with Kelly Slater. And he's a badass bow hunter too. Like we we, we did really well together, and, uh, and that's actually who I'm hunting with tomorrow. We get, me and him are going. Oh, out. awesome! Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot. Of, oh, the other one is I caught like a six seven hundred pound bluefin tuna in a spot called Prince Edward Island, and then did a, some some nice food out of that. So yeah, it's action packed, man. Like the show is is all action. It's not like your normal sort of you know, cruisy hunts, it's death-defying, action-packed, you know, extreme sort of deal. And uh, that's what we wanted to keep it like um, so we can add some fun and adventure into into sometimes something that can be looked upon as not so exciting. Yeah, no, it's it's awesome. I'm looking at some of the previews and uh, the photos uh on on outdoor channel website here so that's awesome and to it it's airing like you mentioned earlier i've got it it's like it's airing saturday monday multiple times on monday multiple times on tuesday like i think folks out there shouldn't miss it check it out uh, yeah for sure and also can i can i give my plug my my instagram is man eats wild tv we welcome anyone following us and we really hope that you can you know follow my adventures on on the gram because I know that's how people get a lot of their news these days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I was actually going to ask you what your Instagram was. So that's perfect. Yeah. It's man eats wild TV. Um, and, uh, I think our Facebook is just man eats wild, but that's, that's where you can get all the up to date stuff that we're, uh, we're doing and there's great recipes on our website and yeah, it's, it's, it's been a whole lot of fun. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to uh to seeing more of your adventures and and hearing more about them as well. So, um, I appreciate you coming on the show. So as as we sort of wind down, this is kind of the last moment where uh, I like to offer up if you got a last thought or a idea or question or concept you want to share with the guest. Uh, you know, the floor is yours. If not, yeah, no I, I, I suppose my only I, I, my my shout out message to everyone is you know um, really next time you go into a supermarket just think about um, of course I'm a big advocate for getting the food yourself in the wild but if you can't do that guys do yourself a massive favor and look at the labels and try to get organic food or farmers markets anything that's come from your local area you'll be doing the environment a massive favor. And you also will be doing your health and the health of your kids a massive favor. And and that's something that I'm, I'm really passionate about. And I hope we can all take something away from my show and my message in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. I echo that. And I think we hit on some great uh, – I got to know Mario a little better tonight and hit on, man, some great conversation points about food and and uh, wild food and food culture and, and the culture of the world, which I think is great. Uh, so I, I appreciate you sharing all that. And thanks again for, for making time. Good luck on the hunt tomorrow, uh, starting off. 
Thanks, Justin. You're a legend, mate. Easy to talk to. <laughs> I appreciate it. Likewise. But uh, for everybody out there, uh, please, you know, uh, make sure you go follow the Man Eats Wild TV uh, over at Instagram. Uh Give give Mario and his team a following so you can stay up on all the cool things that he's got going on. Because I just I peruse the Instagram right now and it's a uh, pretty intense. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so it's good. And uh, as always, thanks everybody for listening. Our we'll include all the links to show notes to uh, episodes, social media, all that stuff. Those conversation points we hit on tonight will be in the show notes, uh, which you can see on podcast platform or over on a website at harvesting nature and then uh also too after you check out uh mario's social media make sure you're following harvesting nature lots of cool things going on here uh cool things to do and see and uh we'd love to have you following there so make sure to do that and then whatever podcast platform you're listening to please punch that five star button leave us a review tell us what we're doing wrong or you know tell us we're doing right thanks everybody have a good night